Well, good morning again, and uh, for those of you that don't know, know me, my name is Alex. I'm the administrator here at the church, and uh, I'm blessed enough to be able to get up here and, and speak whenever Pastor Gary's out of town. And sometimes we have other people come up and speak as well. Uh, but, you know, it's just a privilege. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing thing to get to do. And uh, he's kind of, with the announcements, which Mitchell calls, the uh, commercials, Mitchell calls the, the announcements commercials, um, it's given me a chance to get a little more comfortable speaking and things like that. But it's, it's such a privilege and it's, it means so much. And Pastor, if you are watching or listening, hopefully you're just listening and not watching because you're driving. But if, uh, if you're listening, we thank, I thank you so much for the privilege and the trust to be able to do this this morning. Um, and this morning, those of you that maybe didn't read the worship guide that you got when you walked in, you just saw the picture, there may have been a little moment of like, ugh, is he going to talk about money? Um, we're not. Thankfully not. We're not going to talk about money this morning. But I'd like to ask everybody a quick question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but, or if you want to, you can, I guess. Who here has ever been in the service industry? You know, I, I've been in and out of the service industry over the years. Um, and as a server, who here has ever been a waiter or a waitress? Yeah, lots of hands pop up for that one. There's, there's like a degree of pride in that. Cause it's like, and I'm not diminishing, obviously, anybody who's been in the service, but you feel like you've been through a war almost on a nightly basis, being a server. Because it's crazy in kitchens. It's crazy in restaurants. You, even in a fine dining establishment, there's utter chaos going on behind the scenes. And... So often on those receipts that we get, it says gratuity not included. And as a server, and I've been on both sides of the, 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 the heating plate, for all, lack of a better way of putting it, I've been a server and I've been in the kitchen as a, as a line cook, and I've, been, I've run a kitchen in the past, so I, I know like all the little dichotomies of a, of a restaurant. Um, my parents had, restaurant, had a restaurant when I was young, so I've been a dishwasher, I've been a busboy, I've done all of it. But if you're in the front of the house, you want people to notice that gratuity not included line. Because back in the day, you made $2.13 an hour. And if you were good at your job, you made a lot more than that because, frankly, you could really make a killing being a server. But that money relied on a lot of different things. Because no matter how good you were, no matter how big of a smile you had, no matter how fast you were, if the kitchen messed up the meal, you were in trouble. Like, immediately. You knew that some, you're, you're, you've already lost money on this table. So you had to, you, there was a humility involved, and I didn't know it at the, at the time. I picked up on it way down the road later on, that there's some humility involved, because you're relying on others to do a good job so that you can benefit from it. And so much of that equals out in our Christian walk. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about the idea that if we forget that we're relying on God for the good things in our lives and being grateful in our thankfulness, we can get kind of a big head if we're successful in this life. If things go our way, we can start taking credit for stuff. And we work hard, and I get it. And, we're, and you know, obviously we, we reap the rewards of working hard and being successful. But we can't forget where that success came from. So we're going to talk this morning about gratuity not being included in some of our hearts. So how much gratuity is enough? Now, if you're a server, there's no number high enough. Okay? It's all, that, that, that's what it's all about. But for you, for your walk, how much is 
enough gratuity. If you're going to put it back in, in like tipping at a restaurant or like when I go and I get my hair cut, I tip well. I tend to tip better for stuff that I can't do myself. I would look, I mean, it's bad enough already, but I mean, you give me a pair of clippers and scissors and I'm cutting my own hair and I mean, it just, you guys get the picture. It's not going to work out very well. So when I go get my hair cut, I tip well. When I go out to a restaurant, which is something that is, is, is a plus in life, it's a blessing to get to go out and have someone prepare a meal for you and bring it out to the table and serve you, I like to tip well. One, because I've been on the other side of, of that, I've done it before, but also because it just seems like the right thing to do. So, I mean, back in the day, it was like 10, 15% was the deal. And now they want like 25% just for checking out at your coffee spot, right? Like if you go pay way too much for a cup of coffee, they're expecting a tip just for ringing you out. So everybody's looking for gratuity today. So we're going to talk about how much gratuity is enough in our walk with the Lord, in our walk with God. And many of you may be already guessing the answer, but let's get there when we get there, if you don't mind. So do you know how much you, how much do you know how much gratuity you have? Before you can give gratuity, before you can show gratuity, you have to decide how much you have inside of you. How grateful are you to an omnipotent, omnipresent, which means He is everywhere and knows everything, God, that's given you everything that you have? How much gratitude do you have in your heart? And how do you show this gratitude? Do you show it quietly and amongst yourself? Or just deep down inside, which is okay and good? And do you show it out in public, which is even better? And that leads to the question, if others know you're a grateful person, do others know that you have gratitude in your heart? But first, let's, Pastor Gary has the old you know, um, dictionary in his, in his drawer, but I've moved on to computers. Uh, according to the good old MiriamWebster.com website, gratitude is... The state of being grateful, duh, right? I mean, it's, it says it in the Word, but the word thankfulness is what it generalizes, doesn't it? And with it being Thanksgiving, I wanted to do a, th- a message on being thanks- thankful and having gratitude that's a little bit different than what we've heard before in the past, or at least I've heard in the past. And thankfulness is a key part of being grateful. But thankfulness is something that we can't take for granted. We can't impose it enough upon ourselves to remind ourselves to be thankful. I have to remind myself all the time to be thankful because I have it so good. I really do have it so good. I can forget how good I have it. And that's something that I have to be careful of. And that leads up to my relationship with God because I can start, you know, just not being grateful for the little things in my life. I can start being not very grateful for the big things in my life. And before I know it, I've got a terrible attitude. Sometimes, no matter how good we may have it, we can lose our thankfulness. So what makes us thankful? Realizing how much you have. Did you know that if you make $34,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of the entire globe? Who can survive on 34 grand a year in this room? A couple of hands pop up. Some of you are probably doing it on retirement and stuff like that and living really tight. But it is hard. It's very hard. 
Things are expensive. You've all been to the grocery store. I don't need to get into all that. But realizing how much you have is a very, very important part. And this is a tough one, but I go back to when I first got saved at, at, at the former work where Pastor Gary was. We had a Wednesday night service. And the entire service was people talking about their problems, asking for prayer. And I would sit there and I wouldn't say a word because I'd go in with something and sit there and go, I don't have any problems. And we were like on the verge of losing our home and losing our business. And here there's, there's people with children with cancer. Here's people that, that are losing loved ones and, and all of these horrible things are happening in their lives. And I sit there and think, wow, I've got it pretty good. I have no right to feel bad about any of this stuff. We can get another house. We can go get jobs. Other people's trouble and listening, and, I don't, and, and that's something that we need to remember to do also. It helps us be thankful by listening to others. One thing I learned when I was doing the school stuff back in the day was when you listen and you're having a conversation with somebody, don't try to formulate an answer before that person's done with their, their sentence. Because you're not listening anymore. You're already developing an argument for something that you want to say, and you're not hearing that person. And by not doing that, by really focusing in and listening, A, it's good for your marriage, it's good for any relationships you have with your family and your kids and everybody else, but also when somebody is telling you of their troubles, it really gets inside. And it reminds you, A, how blessed you are, and B, it helps you be able to pray for that person all the more better and be there for that person. So other people's trouble helps us remind us that, we're, that we should be thankful. And also it helps me anyway, knowing that I don't have control over a situation, but trusting that God does. So many things happen in life. And this is some place I struggle. I don't really consider myself to be much of a control freak, but there's certain aspects of my life where I really, really have a hard time. My wife and I, we talk about all the time. When it comes to the grandkids, we worry about everything. The future, what's college going to look like. They're not even out of grade school. They're, 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 I mean, they're, they're first grade, second grade, uh, first grade and kindergarten. And we're worried about things way down the road. And I, and I can get a really kind of a crazy mindset where I, I, I lay in bed at night and I think about scenarios that will never happen. There's a funny meme actually on the internet of a guy who's in a convenience store and, he, and it's a real picture and he's squared off with a brown bear. In a convenience store. And the, the meme is basically saying, most men have planned for this most of their lives while they're laying in bed. And it's true. We think about the most random, insane act that could possibly happen. What would I do? And I would sweep the leg. And, and it was just like, none of it's going to ever happen. We don't have to think about these things and worry, but this is what we do. But knowing God is in control should be help, help us be more thankful and give us peace, and knowing that even if horrible things happen, He's still in control. And He he promises us that nothing happens for no reason. We may not get it on uh, on this side of the veil. We may not know what that reason is entirely, but there is always a reason. And there's a lot of peace in that. But being thankful also takes a lot of humility. Because knowing that God is in control is a pretty humble thing. When I was a waiter, I had no control over what the kitchen was doing with that food. All I could do was bring it out. And if it was terrible, 
It was on me anyway. Thank goodness God is not half the cooks I worked with in the past. He doesn't make mistakes. Everything happens for a reason with Him. And without humility, we can't be grateful or thankful. So humility is key with this. So what is humility? To know who God is. And, sorry, to know who we are. Who are we? We are, obviously, imagers of God. He made us in His image. We're special. Of all the creation of this world, we are special. But we have to be in that Goldilocks spot. You know, the old, the, the old tale about the little girl who goes in and eats the porridges. Or even better, I like the idea of where Earth is, because this is real life. Where Earth is in our solar system is in the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold. Nowhere else is there life that we know of because this, this planet orbits the sun at just the right distance so that we can thrive and exist here. And knowing that and knowing who we are is important because if we put ourselves too high in importance and we make ourselves gods and we are, we're gods through Christ, Jesus, His blood enables us to have a higher standard and a higher stand, standing with God. But we still can't walk into God's throne room, not without Jesus standing in the way. We still don't, when we say we, we pray Jesus' name, it's because God is so holy, Jesus has to be at His right hand, intercessing, I say the word, getting in the way for us, talking for us to God, because He is such a holy God and we're not. And we also have to remember, though, how not too low of importance as well. Because then you can get stuck in the mud and start thinking, I'm not good enough. I can't serve God. I can't do anything. And why would His Son come die for me? I can't even believe that because I'm not important enough. We've got to find that sweet spot in the Goldilocks zone where, where we're humble enough, but know our place because, because of Jesus in God's eyes. And your perspective on both of these things depend on if God is big enough to you. And when I say big enough, I mean, like, is he, is he, is he something that you can stick in a box? Is he so, is he controllable? Do you think you understand him? Or is he so big, can you acknowledge the fact that God, the creator of everything, who made this entire world in six days, and then Jesus said, I'm going to go forward and make a place for you 2,000 years ago, and then we're going to walk into heaven and it's going to be, what, you know, make, make earth seem like, a, like nothing. And we're going to put God in that, in that box that we know who He is, we understand everything about Him. And then after a while, start to think, I can do that. But instead, we're supposed to reflect God's love and glory, not absorb it. Because then we start taking credit for it. Now the sun in the sky gives us our light and our heat. But when you look at the moon, the moon produces no light. But at night we see it, right? Because it's reflecting the sun. And if, God, and, if, and if God can do all of this in our lives and we can acknowledge Him and stay humble, it's a tough process, right? Because the better we do, the more we think we've done. But the more we do the more credit we should be giving to God. And Satan forgot how big 
God is. Now, you might want to what does Satan have to do with me? Satan, I want you to, uh, to take a step back from, from that name. That name isn't the name of whoever this adversary is. It's that, that word means accuser. It's a title. And this angel that fell, this angel that fell wasn't always what you think of in your mind. He wasn't always this evil, deceitful, terrible being. And we're going to talk about that here in a second, because this is the fall of Satan here. In Ezekiel, it was written that you were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red cardellion, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue-green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald all beautifully crafted for you, set in the finest of gold, and they were given to you on the day you were created. Now remember, if you ever look back in Genesis when the creation happened, there's a bit of a celebration. God wasn't alone when these things happened. These angels predate us, just so you know that. We're not, they were not a part of the creation of earth as we know it and us at the same time. They witnessed it happen. So here we have Satan dressed to the nines, walking with God in, in the high places and being given an, an amazing role in, in God's kingdom, heavenly kingdom, that I ordained and anointed you as a mighty angel guardian. And you had access to the holy mountain of God and you walked among the stones of fire. Satan had direct access, which we see in Job later, but he had direct access to God. We don't get to do that. We don't get to walk into God's throne room like this. We'd burn up. Jesus has to be in the way. He protects us from the perfection of God. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created. So He was perfect until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with, important word, pride. Because of your beauty, your wisdom, your, was corrupted by your love of, of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. He had it all. He got to see God. He had no doubt for the longest time, because we're talking about millennia went by. A millennia, went, a timeless time went by. We have no idea how long they were around before God created us. And the idea that he got complacent. He started to look up and go, I can do that. So if Satan can fall victim to pride and forget how big God is, why can't we? We have to guard our hearts against this. We don't want to lose our thankfulness. We don't want to lose our gratitude. And this scripture here, let me get a little sip of tea, please. This scripture here, many people suggest is also about the fall of Satan. But if you read it in context, I don't think it is. And I might be wrong about this, so forgive me 
any of the Bible scholars out there that, that know better, but when you read Isaiah 14 in context, it's talking about a person. And that's why this hit me, because I, I was going to dig this out to give another reference to the fall of Satan. And when I read it in context, it actually like it, it came very, became very, very clear that he's talking about a human being here. Because how are you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? People in the Latin, some of your older, some Bibles will say Lucifer. That's a mis. I believe anyway. I've been told and I've read up a lot that says that's actually a mistranslation there because of the Latin. He's not named here. Son of the morning, you have been thrown down to earth, and you were you who have destroyed the nations of the world. When you read this in context, he's talking about Babylon. And the cool thing about this is this is a prophecy. This isn't talking past, because when Isaiah wrote this, Babylon was not yet a superpower. Nebuchadnezzar may not have even been born yet. I don't know the timing of it all specifically, but Nebuchadnezzar, and that, I, I believe that's who he's talking about here. And if you don't know who Nebuchadnezzar is, you got to read Daniel. Daniel's an amazing book, and it's one of the longest names you'll ever see in the book. So, you say to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. The reason why I believe this is a man is because we just read Scripture that he walked among the pillars of fire. He approached God head on. He was able to commune and talk to Him. So why would He want to, to ascend when He was already there? Plus the context before and after is very obviously re- referencing people. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb the highest heavens and be like the Most High. Instead, you will be brought down to a place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. If you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he was the guy who had the big statue built. And if you didn't worship it, you got thrown into a furnace. He was the one that if you, if you got caught worshiping other gods, you got thrown into a lion's den. If that's not a god complex, I don't know what is. This guy believed he was God, just like the pharaohs of Egypt. They were all convinced that they were descendants or reincarnations of Ra. They convinced themselves that they were gods. Everyone will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? And this part here is, if you know, if you know the book of Daniel, Daniel warned him, Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen, and he was reduced to an, a beast-like individual. He lost his mind. His hair grew crazy. His fingernails grew exponentially long. And he was eating grass in the field like a wild ox. The most powerful king in the world. He conquered the known world. Babylon is the first empire that we're aware of in recorded history as of now. The biggest, and not the first, but the most powerful, the most widespread and the king of that went nuts for a span, and then he came back to his mind. He didn't just lose his mind and, and, and that was it. He came back to his mind, and he was warned that it would happen. So we're seeing this prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before. King Solomon warned us, the path of the virtuous leads away from evil. Whoever follows that path is safe. You're humble, and you follow a path that leads away from evil. You're in a safe place. But pride. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness. 
I had to look that up. Haughtiness. I don't use that word. It's, it means not being humble. Before the fall. Everyone's heard that saying. Pride comes before the fall. That's where this comes from. Better to live humbly with the poor than to share plunder with the proud. So how much gratuity is enough? But before we get to that, do you know how much gratuity you have to start with? And is do you have a, an honest decipher in your own heart of how thankful you are? Not just for what you have, but for what God has done for you and your place in this universe and in this world. Are you a thankful person with a grateful heart? Have you gotten too comfortable with your blessings? Who gets the credit in your life for all the good? And this is the tough one. Can you be thankful even when times get tough? Um, I, I, I hope I don't know if you're here this morning, and I, and I won't go into detail and name names, but there's a, a sweet lady, a sweet family in our church who their their grandson was taken from us on Thanksgiving evening. Um, he was he was riding home and somebody on a motorcycle and somebody pulled out in front of him. And the next day when I was speaking to his grandmother, and I've known this boy since he's about six years old. And uh, she was telling me about, you know, this man that did this. He was drinking and driving. Nothing malicious, but, you know, bad, very, very bad decisions, decisions were made. And, uh, he, you know, the person who has been arrested and obviously didn't get away, he, you know, he's going to get a certain amount of time. It's going to be hard for him to avoid prison time for this. And my reaction was, it doesn't seem like enough. And this grandmother, who, I mean, I haven't seen this boy really outside of moments here and there for for years and years. Um, And I'd be lying if I would say that we, you know, we've been close for the past ten years. But I've been I've been there at his, you know, his grandfather's service and then his uncle's service and when I said that to his grandmother she said God loves him just as much as my grandson there was no malice there was no anger I mean there was anger there was hurt but I didn't pick up any hate I didn't pick up any Loathingness to the point where you want someone to suffer because they've made you suffer. And I sat back and, and I thought to myself, man, have you got a long way to go. Because going back to the whole fighting a grizzly bear in a convenience store thing, I've had the most terrible thoughts and I've had to, I've had to apologize to God because there's been times when I look at my family and I have it so good. And I can't help but think randomly, and it's a terrible thought, God could really hurt me if He took away my life, if He took away my grandchildren or my children. But He doesn't hurt us. That's not what God does. He loves us. He sends His Son to die for us. And that's when I have to remember 
that I need to learn somehow to be thankful when the times get tough because I've had it so good for so long. I said it from here before. We're blessed. It turned out to be nothing. But man, oh man, my, my wife and I, we had a health scare a couple of years ago with, for her, with her. And my first thought was, Lord, I'm going to need your help to love you. Just being honest. It's tough, but we have to find a way to be thankful even when it gets tough. David knew what it was like to be tough. He wrote this later in life. Later in life, when his, if you don't know David's story, I suggest you go out there and read it. And it's, it's incredible what this man went through. Much of it from his own poor decision making, which affects, you know, of course our kids. If you're, if you're a dad and you're out there not living right, don't expect your kids to follow, you know, the right way necessarily. Because they're gonna watch you and you're the example. And David had done that. David made some bad decisions and he reaped, the, reaped the, the pain from it. But he still said, late in life, let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He has done for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. That Scripture, that mindset of Scripture, and I couldn't quote the exact one. Ronnie probably could. But it says in the, it says in the Bible, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That has gotten me out of so many messes. There's a handful of people, and praise God, I don't have a long list, but there's a handful of people I would have loved to have hurt in my life. But, and this sounds, again, it's terrible, but you know, you guys must be used to confession with Pastor Gary up here all the time. He talks about everything too. But I have a, I lean on that, and it doesn't, it, that sounds super spiritual, but honestly, I thought to myself, God can hurt them worse than I can. Maybe I can break their nose, bloody their lip, they'll get over it, I'll probably get sued. You know, I mean, it's, it's just it's, it's, it's a no-win. But God, oh boy, God can take care of business. And He promises vengeance is mine. But the great thing is, when you get a thankful heart and you come back around and you start praying for those people that you want to hurt, man, He takes all that away. You start praying for their prosperity. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And then you realize that you can be thankful. You realize in humility that God takes care of you because you're giving it to Him. You're not wearing it. You're not saddling yourself with the anger, with the, with the vengeance is mine, and forgetting the, the last part, saith the Lord. So, how do you show your thankfulness? First Thessalonians says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He's not saying do it, do it alone. In Christ Jesus, we can be thankful for everything. We don't have to pick and choose. We can pray without ceasing. And prayer doesn't mean you're, you're scooching around on your knees 24-7. You can just talk to God. Because Jesus is there talking for you. Do others know that you're a thankful person? If you're doing that other stuff, they might start getting the idea. And if they do, it's because you show it. 
You're out there in the community. There's people in this room that, that, that just exudes the love of Christ. And I've known them long enough to know you're not faking it. I mean, they might have pulled it off for a few hours here and there, but there are people that I know, and again, I'm so thankful for, in this room, in this building, that aren't in this room, that exude the love of Christ. And there's somebody that I want to be like someday. Because if they do, it's because, if people know it, it's because you show it. By reflecting God's goodness and glory. Remember, we are like the moon, reflecting the sun. And, and it's a beacon at night. It's something that people look up to. People look up to the stars, up to the sky, and they see the moon. And there's something like peaceful and reassuring about that, isn't there? And if we can reflect Christ's love to the community and our thankfulness, especially in the hard times, that's when we shine the best. Because if I could get up here and say, oh, you know, everything's perfect and, and I just did it, you know, I've got a, a, such a blessed life, it really isn't, it's like, oh, well, good for you. But if you, somebody who's hurting out there, shows the love of God, shows the gratuity, the thankfulness, man, you're so much brighter. Galatians says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is how we show the world that we're thankful, by living the way God wants us to live in the community, by being different. And the thing is, the different part is, there's a lot of good people. Some of the best people I know, some of the most generous, kind people are not Christians, which means we have to step our game up if we're going to be more of a beacon, a light on a hill, salt of the earth for people, so they want to come to Christ. We have to be more different. So this is how we share it. We don't absorb all the things that God gives us or gives you and then we want to take credit for it. Anybody remember the old, I mean, it was like t-shirts, it was bumper toys, glow-in-the-dark stuff? That was like, and it still is kind of, kids love it still. But glow-in-the-dark stuff absorbs the light. And it's really bright and beautiful and neat, but it doesn't take long before it's diminished. And not shortly after that, the light is gone when you absorb it. But a reflection never goes away as long as it stays in the sun. If we reflect what God has done for us to others, it's a light that can't be put out. We have to give God the glory. Matthew says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not about them seeing you. It's not about the good works you're doing. It's all about them going, why are they doing that? Everybody gives a little bit of money to charity. Not everybody, but most do. Most people will, will help somebody do something randomly on the street, give, give somebody a need something. Go volunteer somewhere. I guarantee you, those of you that are plugged in doing stuff, if you were to, if you were to poll everybody, not everybody you're working with is a Christian. Not everybody you know is, is a believer in Christ. Which means what? In your own heart, you have to pray about it. You've got to find a way to step it up even more so you're brighter than everybody else. 
And that means in those tough times, shining brighter than ever. So how much gratuity is enough? You all probably guessed it. All of you. God wants all of you. And that's the beautiful thing about all this. We can give God all the credit, and man, He carries all the weight. If we can just let go of the things that we cling so hard to, He'll take it. Who here as a parent won't take away your pain, the pain, the suffering, the, 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 the sadness of your child? We all would. I'd never forget, you know, my, my parents, when I was little, get sick, and I remember my dad looking at me and going, I wish I could take it away. James says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and, and he will flee from you. Submit is a humble, humble, right? Humility before God. And, if you, and resist the devil and he will run from you. So if you're, if you're humble to God, the devil will run from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I've said it, again, I've said it before in the past. I love the picture of the sun and the planets rotating around the earth. If God is the sun and we're just the planet, it's up to us how close we want to be. I know that I'm not talking real science, of course, but in our walk, as we walk around God in our walk, in our life, it's up to us how hot, how warm we want to be, how close we want to be. He doesn't move. We're the ones that wander off and say, I can do that. But He wants us as close as possible to where we're almost getting burned. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Is God saying He wants you sad and miserable? No. What He's saying there is understand, realize who, who you are and what struggles you have. And let it break your heart enough to give it to Him. Only when we, when we humble ourselves and say, Father, I'm sorry for, for having a hardened heart in this department. I need your help. Can He take it away? And then when you, anybody have a really good cry and then feel so much better afterwards? That's what we're saying here. Be humble. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And He will lift you up. He will exalt you. When we finally give up and give Him all of ourselves, this is when we're really, truly able to be thankful.